Hi, I'm Joy Zabala, the Director of Technical Assistance at CAST and the National Center on Accessible Instructional Materials. If you'd like more information about AIM, Accessible Instructional Materials, go to our website at aim.cast.org. And you're listening to the AT Tips Cast. Welcome to the 100th episode of the AT Tips Cast, which has been exploring and investigating the implementation of assistive technology in public schools since 2008. I'm still your host, Chris Bouguet. This episode was recorded on June 28, 2012. Whether this is your first episode of the AT Tips Cast, or if you've listened to all 100 episodes, plus the handful of bonus episodes, I want to thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. It's because of you listening to all of these episodes, and commenting on the blog, and sending me tweets, and saying hello at conferences, and all the other ways we've corresponded that's kept me working year after year to put out new episodes. Over the past five years, the AT Tips Cast has featured over 285 AT Tips, most of which can be used immediately in a classroom to differentiate instruction or to provide options to educators and students. It's been my hope that I've provided not just the tools, but integration strategies for how to use the tools as well. Furthermore, one of the goals of the AT Tips Cast has been, hopefully, to entertain you as you learn about these strategies. I never want listening to an episode to feel like work. I want the episodes to be engaging, fun, and something enjoyable, sort of like going to see a movie. They can make you laugh, cry, think, and yes, sometimes even cheer. If done well, movies, and hopefully the strategies you hear on this podcast, stick with you. For this milestone 100th episode, I wanted to roll out the red carpet and do something special. Throughout this past year, there's been a bunch of content which has previously only appeared on the blog attipscast.com. Most of this content has been in the form of assistive technology movie reviews, where I've gone to see a movie and been struck by something that correlates to a strategy or philosophy related to contemporary educational practices. These movie reviews have been by far the most popular posts on the AT Tipscast website. For this special 100th episode, I thought we could pop some popcorn, grab ourselves a giant soda pop, and enjoy the show as we let the AT Tipscast take you to the movies. Technology Movie Review, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. Despite having seen all the previous Mission Impossible movies, when I saw the preview for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, I thought, ick. Then, when I heard from a few Twitter friends how much they enjoyed it, saw some additional television spots playing that catchy theme music, and noticed that it was directed by Brad Bird, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, The Iron Giant, etc., I changed my mind. Still, I was thinking I'd add it to the Netflix queue and get around to seeing it a year or two from now. Over the winter break, my in-laws came into town, giving my wife and I an opportunity to have a day out together. We did some shopping, grabbed a bite to eat, and went to see Mission Impossible for the heck of it. As it turns out, we both really enjoyed it. What I found most interesting about the movie were the parallels in the story to building and maintaining an assistive technology team. Without providing any spoilers, the movie centers around a small team of professionals who use technology to overcome problem after problem in order to achieve their objectives. The team utilizes their different talents to assess each situation by analyzing their environment and then implementing technology to address the issues. 
To me, this is exactly how a team of educators considers assistive technology for a student. The team analyzes the situation, determines what goals need to be met, and then decides what tools are necessary to address those goals. Approximately halfway through the movie, the team of good guys realize that they will not be able to acquire any more resources. They are forced to find solutions using only what they have available to them. When implementing technology for a student, educators first look to what they already have in their environment. Technology that is present and available to every student is always the best place to start, and typically these tools are considered the least restrictive solutions. Furthermore, in the current fiscal environment of shrinking budgets, using what's freely available first before looking for external solutions that cost money helps to keep funds available for when a student absolutely needs something to be purchased. As the events of the plot unfold, the team finds that technology fails them. Over and over again, as the technology fails, the team is forced to improvise to continue their mission. Unfortunately, this holds true in the world of education as well. Technology breaks down, and backup plans need to be implemented, so students aren't left floundering without the support they need to help them achieve their goals. When the technology goes down, it's up to the educational team to review, revise, and react, often in innovative ways, to make sure students succeed. At the end, it's no surprise that Tom Cruise's team is victorious. As team leader, he gives a short speech explaining how proud he is of the team for their resiliency, collaboration, and never-give-up attitude. Even if you think the mission in front of you is impossible, whether it be stopping a terrorist from enacting his nefarious plot or assisting a student in achieving his or her educational goals, the edict is the same. Failure is not an option. Providing necessary technology to help students achieve their educational goals is your mission, and if you're a good educational team, your only choice is to accept it. Assistive Technology Movie Review, Moneyball. As soon as I saw the trailer for Moneyball, I added it to the Netflix queue. I didn't feel compelled to see this movie in the theater because A, I'm not a big fan of baseball, and B, I tend to spend theater dollars on movies laden with impressive special effects to maximize the big screen experience. I was, however, interested in learning how mathematics and statistics could be applied in a formulaic approach to change how people think. When it was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar, I bumped it up in the queue. I wasn't expecting to find correlations between a mainstream film and contemporary educational philosophies like Universal Design for Learning. My apologies to my wife for the frequent pausing of the DVD to take notes. I couldn't help it. Ideas kept pop-flying into my head. The movie, based on a true story, stars Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, a former baseball player turned general manager for the Oakland Athletics. The movie opens at the end of a successful season for the Athletics. Instead of celebrating, however, Pitt finds that his star players have left to take higher-paid contracts on other teams. Faced with replacing these high-profile names within a limited budget and frustrated with a staff using traditional scouting methods, Pitt begins looking for a different approach to fill the missing roster spots. The scouts in the movie, in my view, echo the mindset shared by some educators that this is the way we've always done it, and it's worked out fine so far. To some extent, this might be true. For sure, I grew up filling out an exorbitant amount of worksheets, and I feel like I received a decent education. But, 
Could it have been done differently? Could my educational experience been even more meaningful? I think so. More importantly, does this traditional approach of providing worksheets to practice a concept work for everyone? I think not. The movie demonstrates in glaring fashion that change is difficult. People who have been doing something the same way for years, no matter the profession, resist change. Pitt's character proposes a shift away from tradition, and it meets with opposition. Moving education away from a continuous flow of worksheets following a rigid one-size-fits-all philosophy into a new world where students are provided with choices as to how best they'd like to engage in their own learning would yield better results. On a trip to negotiate with the Cleveland Indians, Pitt meets a Yale grad, played by Jonah Hill, who pitches a radical new theory of player evaluation. Hill suggests that a wide range of individual variables can each be given numerical values and a quotient can be calculated from these numbers. This quotient can then be used to get the most productive players for the money available. The final quotient they use to evaluate a player's value, the one of paramount importance to Pitt and Hill's characters, is tendency to get on base. For years, I've thought that a merit-based system of pay would be a benefit to education. The theory is simple. Pay teachers based on performance. The most poignant argument against a merit-based system is how to make it equitable based on all the variables present in a classroom. Once, I tried to make a list of all the variables that would need to be considered if a merit-based system were to exist. The list was as big as the green monster at Fenway Park. Hill's character in the movie quantified each relevant variable and generated a formula which he used to boil it down into one number. To me, if this exists for all the relevant variables present on the baseball field, then this same approach could be applied to evaluate, and thus pay, teachers according to a quantified value. The approach, as applied to baseball, is called sabermetrics. It would be an interesting project for a class of individuals studying statistics to try to duplicate these efforts applying them to contemporary classroom variables. The result might just produce an equitable system for paying educators based on productivity rather than solely on a traditional step approach. Once Pitt's character implemented the new approach, I leaned over to my wife and said, if this works right off the bat, pardon the pun, it's going to be a really short movie. Predictably, the new approach didn't work right away, and the naysayers felt justified in their negative prognostications. In the movie, things go awry for Pitt and Hill, but they stick to their failing approach, dedicated to see it through to the end. To me, Teachers implementing different or varied technologies in their classrooms to meet the needs of the different and varied learners in their classrooms should understand that sometimes things don't work the right way right away. Chaos might ensue. Like Pitt and Hill's characters, stick to it. One loss on the baseball field doesn't mean the entire season is a wash. Likewise, one lesson where the technology didn't work correctly or where students got confused doesn't mean the approach isn't solid. If you make an error, letting the proverbial ball roll between your legs, that's okay. Brush off the dust and use it as motivation to hit a home run on your next at-bat. Furthermore, in some instances, technology might work to help a student the instant it is put in place. However, in most cases, it usually takes time to successfully implement a technology tool. Consider the examples of implementing word prediction for a student with spelling difficulties or an augmentative communication device for a student who has never used one before. Although these tools can be powerful and life-altering when used over time, it usually takes some time for a person to learn to use these tools effectively. It typically takes patience, practice, 
training, and time for a student to truly integrate these tools to make a difference in their lives. Therefore, like Pitt and Hill's characters, stick to it. If the decision to place a device was founded on solid evidence, then it is likely to work. Don't give up. Chances are you won't strike out. Faced with a doomed team at the bottom of the standings, the duo move out of their introverted comfort zones to enact the help of the players. Once the players are educated about the philosophy and brought on board as partners in the approach, positive results begin to occur. The athletics remarkably begin to win against teams that can afford much higher paid players. In this same way, students should be made aware of the teacher's educational philosophy and be accepted as cohorts in the approach. Like the players on the team, students will work to improve and help each other to improve if they have a shared vision, outlook, or campaign to get behind. Set and share an obtainable and collaborative classroom goal. Authentically involve the students in as many decisions as possible in an attempt to reach that goal. Refer to it and reflect on it together so no one starts striking out on bad pitches. Likewise, this same approach of establishing and sharing a common goal works for any group of people working together. Grade level teams, assistive technology teams, school-wide and system-wide faculties, or any group of people working to achieve a common goal will produce better results if everyone has taken ownership of that goal. In baseball, the general manager doesn't necessarily need to fix a flaw in a batter's swing, he just needs to create the environment in which the player himself can grow to make adjustments. In this same way, a teacher does not need to dictate solutions to solve every problem students encounter, but rather provide the proper guidance and support to let the students develop their own solutions. In the end, of course, Pitt, Hill, and the Athletics go on to prove that their system works. The movie claims that professional baseball, steeped in tradition and history, changed forever after that season. In the following years, every team changed to adopt Pitt's new statistical approach to player evaluation and acquisition. The profession and the economy surrounding it was forever altered, largely due to the ideas and efforts of two men. Educators can have the same impact on their chosen profession. Whether looking at education globally or at each of its subsequent parts, like assistive technology, long-standing practices should be challenged, turned over, and re-examined to see if they are truly effective. We might find that embracing new approaches and showing the determination to stick to these approaches could result in an effective grand slam for education as a whole. Everybody's game. Everybody plays. Well, don't you come along. It's such a beautiful day It's everybody's game Come on our friends It's everybody's game Come on our friends It's Assistive Technology Movie Review The Hunger Games My wife doesn't read books, she devours them. The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins was no exception. I, however, find it difficult to read a book during the school year. My literature consumption primarily takes place in the form of audiobooks or podcasts during my commute. That said, when my wife circled last Friday on the calendar and said, we're going to see The Hunger Games, I felt the urge to read the book before seeing the movie. As luck would have it, my in-laws came to visit the weekend prior to the movie coming out. In an effort to give them some time alone with their grandkids, I barricaded myself in our bedroom and went to town on the novel. I knocked it out in two days, a record for me. I was eager to experience the phenomenon in the same way as my wife, so I could have something intelligent to say when the inevitable discussions comparing the film adaptation to the literary work occurred. 
Once again, I couldn't help but see correlations throughout the story to the implementation of technology following a universal design for learning framework. Spoilers follow, you have been warned. The story, which is mostly the same between the book and the film, is, at its core, one of rebellion, defiance, and self-discovery. It involves 24 children between the ages of 12 and 18 placed within a large outdoor arena to fight to the death for the purposes of entertaining the masses. This annual death match, known as the Hunger Games, was established to keep the working class in line as a reminder of the power of the ruling class. The contestants in this gladiatorial bloodbath are known as tributes. The tributes in the story have a diverse set of backgrounds, skills, and traits, making each one unique and special in some way. My brain immediately equated the tributes to students within a classroom, struggling to survive through the arena of school, trying to win at education, competing with one another for acceptance into college or for scholarships. Just like in the story, despite the cutthroat competition, alliances and friendships are formed. In both the story and within schools, individuals realize that collaboration and teamwork prove more successful than standing alone. If the tributes in the arena represent students, then the supplies and weapons used to kill opponents would represent the technology necessary to complete a task. The tributes make a decisive choices about what tools they need to accomplish their objectives of staying alive and killing others. Likewise, students within an environment following the principles of universal design for learning utilize an array of tools to accomplish their mission of learning the content and achieving educational goals. In the arena, the wrong set of tools could equal pain, suffering, or even death, while the correct set of tools matched to an individual's skills could prove most effective. In school, choosing the wrong set of tools could equate to the loss of precious time, but the right set of tools matched to an individual's abilities could make a significant impact in student performance. Blazing hot days, freezing cold nights, swarms of deadly insects, wild mutated animals, and poisonous vegetation are just a few of the hazards prevalent throughout the arena. These conditions are controlled by the gamekeepers in order to provide the maximum entertainment value for the audience. Like in the arena, the school environment itself can be manipulated to shape the challenge facing a student. Educators should engineer environments with the educational goals of students in mind. For instance, if a student has a language goal of making requests, then placing desired objects out of reach provides the student with an opportunity to communicate. Likewise, if a student is physically having difficulty accessing something within his environment, like a computer or interactive whiteboard, the educator must manipulate the environment to provide access. Either way, the educator molds the environment in a manner conducive to the needs of every learner. The protagonist of the story is a character named Katniss, a 16-year-old girl thrust into the midst of the carnage. She is provided a mentor named Haymitch, who has the primary task of preparing her for the battle royale. During the actual event, Hamich is also responsible for garnering sponsors for Katniss, who will fork up cash to provide additional necessary tools not already in the environment. In this way, Hamich works like an assistive technology trainer or specialist, guiding students in ways to successfully utilize the technology already present within the environment. Likewise, when that technology proves too restrictive or limiting, it's up to the assistive technology trainer to provide additional possibilities for the student. Hamich goes to sponsors asking for additional supplies, while an assistive technology trainer goes to vendors looking for tools that might meet the needs of students. 
When Hamish obtains a sponsor who provides supplies, he sends it to Katniss via parachute, with a note attached with advice on how to best use it. In similar fashion, when assistive technology trainers acquire a new device to help students, they provide training and tutorials. In the end, Katniss teaches the establishment of the ruling class a lesson that despite attempting to control the chaos, something unpredictable can occur to upset the rhythm of the status quo. Educators attempting to provide and implement a variety of technology options to students should recognize this very same fact. A universally designed classroom strives to provide an atmosphere of controlled chaos and insulated entropy. Students provided with a multitude of choices about tools and activities they wish to use to best demonstrate their knowledge or which best engages them in the learning process might get messy. Almost always, something can go wrong. The unexpected will occur. Unlike the gamekeepers in the Hunger Games, educators should expect this. Even more so, they should embrace it. Providing a universally designed environment at times might feel like a difficult task. But remember, no one is alone. Anyone can call out to others, like the song of a mockingjay, to ask for help. Perhaps a model of a peer is all that is needed for the spark to begin catching fire within a colleague. Educators across districts, way more than the 12 outlined in the story, are working toward accomplishing similar goals. Sharing accomplishments and demonstrating successes is the best way to spread the culture of universal design for learning. As you move forward, continuing on your own mission to provide options for students, I only have these words of encouragement. May the odds be ever in your favor. Avengers. I'm a superhero geek and proud of it. I didn't just grow up reading comics, I played games about superheroes, watched superhero cartoons, created robust fight sequences and narratives, often in that order, with superhero action figures, and pretended I was the one taking down the bad guys. It was super fun. Today, I get to relive those adventures with my two little ones by fighting giant robots, thwarting the plans of treacherous villains, and protecting the lives of the innocent baby dolls scattered around the room. Over the past few years, the folks at Marvel have been releasing movies starring some of their most popular superheroes. Iron Man, Hulk, Captain America, and Thor each have had their own summer blockbuster movie. Iron Man actually had two. These movies set the stage for the ultimate superhero team-up, bringing them all together in the Avengers. Without even asking me about it, my wife made babysitter arrangements and pre-purchased the opening night tickets. She had watched all of these movies with me, loving the Iron Man movies the most. She wasn't nearly as excited as me to see the Avengers, but when I told her it was directed by Joss Whedon, creator of her favorite show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she was all in. As you can probably guess, on the night of the big event, I found myself grinning from ear to ear, mesmerized for over two hours. Despite the fact that I was 10 years old again, I couldn't help but draw some parallels between Earth's Mightiest Heroes and contemporary practices in the world of education and assistive technology. Spoilers follow, you have been warned. The Tesseract as Curiosity and Engagement 
The movie starts with an action-packed sequence of events where the villain of the movie, Loki, steals the Tesseract, a powerful energy source with the potential for creating sustainably clean energy for the planet. Loki plans to use the Tesseract to create a portal into space, through which he can bring an invading alien army. It comes to light during the movie that Loki has not been the only power looking to use the weapons for less than peaceful purposes. S.H.I.E.L.D., a government agency, works to exploit the power of the Tesseract to create its own set of unique weaponry, which can be used to keep the peace. Good intentions to be sure, but by keeping this fact a secret, they cast a nefarious shadow of doubt over the entire organization. The Tesseract is unharnessed energy, not unlike the enthusiasm of students entering school. Have you seen the overflowing brightness behind a kindergartner's eyes before the first day? It is brimming with hope, eagerness, curiosity, and a desire to learn. The raw energy is palpable. Students come to school en masse already engaged. Therefore, keeping them interested in school should be as easy as saying some incredibly cool catchphrase. Unfortunately, somehow, it's not. Educators throughout the entire span of students' educational careers have the massive responsibility of helping students continue to feel engaged in their learning. It is not the fault of the Tesseract that people are trying to exploit it. Likewise, it is never the student's fault if they become disengaged with learning. Students do not choose to be bored. The power of the Tesseract is like that of curiosity in students. Curiosity can be kept flowing through students by providing them with options about how they'd best like to learn. Curiosity will continue to drive students' engagement when they get to make choices about how they best like to learn. For now, the curriculum is set, static, and determined, but the ways for students to experience that content are changing, dynamic, and flexible. By providing students with options, you give them freedom, much like an Avenger keeping the world safe from a race of invading aliens. If educators approach every lesson by saying, what's the best way I can engage each learner, and then successfully execute those lessons, they will have taken a heroic first step. A group of individuals does not a team make. The Avengers brings together a group of individuals, each with his or her own set of unique traits and abilities, which add something to the whole. Each character has a skill set that makes them a valuable asset and which makes them vital to the success of the mission. When an individualized education program is being developed, individuals from different disciplines and perspectives come together for a common purpose. Each individual member brings his or her own set of talents to the table to formulate a plan which outlines the instructional needs of a student. However, a group of individuals working toward the same cause does not necessarily make it a team. Throughout the course of the movie, the Avengers learn that individual feats of strength and demonstrations of skill might be impressive and fun to watch, but don't necessarily equate to getting the job done. It isn't until the end of the movie, setting egos aside and learning to work together, do the Avengers truly form a team. Likewise, when developing and implementing an individualized education program, the team should work synergistically, not separately. It's not the job of the speech therapist to work on goals related to communication, the job of the occupational therapist to work on fine motor goals, the job of the physical therapist to work on gross motor goals, the job of the parent to work on things at home, the job of the general and special education teachers to work on academic goals, or the job of the administrator to ensure that everything gets done. Rather, it's the job of everyone to work on every aspect of every goal collaboratively. 
When this happens, the individual skills of professionals blur into something cohesive. A true team forms, and the student is the one who ultimately wins. Character before technology. Each hero in the Avengers utilizes a weapon that matches their individual set of skills. Captain America has his iconic shield. Iron Man is outfitted with a suit of armor. Thor wields Molinear, a mighty hammer. Hawkeye shoots a bow. Black Widow uses acrobatics and firearms. And the Hulk is a weapon all unto himself. In this movie, just like in all the other Marvel movies, the focus is on the character, not the tools they use. The weapons support the characters, not the other way around. In this way, the weapons used by the heroes are similar to the process of selecting a device or strategy for a student. When Steve Rogers was becoming Captain America, the plot wasn't the discovery of some shield made of vibranium and how someone could use it. Rather, it was about a man who stays true to himself while facing incredible circumstances. In Iron Man, the story isn't about a man who sets out to develop an invincible suit of armor, but rather creates one out of necessity. Thor's hammer serves as a symbol for doing what is right, but the story of Thor centers around humility. Bruce Banner's main conflict comes from an internal struggling for control, not about the ramification of experimenting with gamma radiation. In truth, what gets to the core of all of these characters has nothing to do with the tools they use, but rather, who they are as people. Device selection happens in much the same way. When selecting an intervention for a student or class, the question should be centered around who the student is and what they need to accomplish, rather than the idea of having a tool and wondering who could use it. For Marvel, it's not, hmm, we have this shield, suit of armor, mystical hammer, gamma radiation, bow, etc. Hmm, we should give it to someone. Instead, it's, there's this complex character who faces intense problems. What types of tools should we provide this person to help solve those problems? For selecting specific assistive technology for a student, it shouldn't be, ooh, look at this shiny cool tool. Hmm, I wonder who could use it. Instead, it should be, this student, or groups of students, has a problem. Which tool or tools could this student or these students use to help address that problem? When devices are selected based on the character of the student rather than the other way around, one can be sure that the student is getting what is truly needed. Sacrifices. Agent Coulson has been described as the glue that holds the various Marvel movies together and helps to maintain continuity. The character makes an appearance in many of the other Marvel movies. He is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who helps to bring the individuals together because he believes in the idea of forming a cogent team of superheroes. Agent Coulson makes the ultimate sacrifice to provide the final catalyst for driving the group to work together as a team. Many educators do this too. Many live for their students, providing countless hours way beyond the limits of the typical workday to provide the very best service they can. They believe they are making a difference, investing in the future, and truly impacting the lives of students in a positive way. Coulson died because he believed in the Avengers. Educators sacrifice money, resources, and most importantly, time to the idea that students, no matter their ability, can and will learn. Also like the Avengers, educators perform these selfless tasks with mixed levels of support. At the end of the movie, the director makes the point to show how the public reacts differently to the knowledge that heroes exist. Some embrace the heroes, thanking them diligently. Others question their true intentions. Some even outright blame the heroes for the invasion. 
educators, despite their passion and sacrifices, receive the same mixed response from the public at large. However, educators shouldn't be chastised or scorned. Rather, they should be respected and revered for being the heroes they are. Fun. Overall, The Avengers is a fun, action-packed thrill ride that brings a helicarrier load of laughs and smiles. Engaging characters drive a compelling plot, all supported by the backdrop of a fascinating universe. Working in the field of education is much the same. Teaching and supporting students is one of the most enriching and rewarding professions. It is filled with memorable, meaningful, jaw-dropping moments that leave an impression, move you to tears, and can make you feel like you're the hero you've always wanted to be. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I hope you enjoyed those movie reviews. Before wrapping up the season of the AT Tips cast, I have some special thanks I want to mention. First, I wanted to thank Dr. Joy Zabala for doing the bumper you heard at the beginning of this episode. If you're looking for resources on making instructional materials accessible, you must check out aim.cast.com. That's A-I-M dot C-A-S-T dot org. Also, I'd like to thank TextHelp, the makers of the software programs Read and Write Gold and Fluency Tutor, for sponsoring the AT Tips Cast this year. I've been a user and trainer of Read and Write Gold for years now, and it has made a tremendous impact on student success. Teachers love it, students love it, parents love it, and I love it. You've got to check out Read and Write Gold from TextHelp.com. Thanks again, TextHelp. You're a winner in my book. Speaking of winners, you might remember that I announced the first ever giveaway on the AT Tips cast in the last episode. Thanks for all the tweets and messages about Piano and Laylee. And now it's time to announce the winner. The winner of the complete set of Piano and Laylee books, available from bit.ly slash piano and Laylee, was chosen by going to AT tip number 287. Oh, that's right. I'm sneaking an AT tip into this episode, which is random.org. That's random.org. On that website, you'll find a random number generator. I put in the range of numbers I wanted to use, pressed the randomized button, and voila, it spit out a number. I matched that number to the number on my spreadsheet of people who shared about Piano and Lily, and I got the winner. There are tons of ways to use a random number generator to differentiate instruction, including using it as an alternative for students who have trouble rolling a die or spinning a spinner, or for randomly selecting a sequence of events when building a schedule for students who prefer to let the fates decide their destinies, or simply to use it to select a particular person to complete a task. There are even more ways to use random.org, but I know you must be waiting on bated breath to see who won the complete set of Piano and Laylee books. So, without further ado, the winner of the complete set of Piano and Laylee books is none other than Amy Braddock. 
an assistive technology trainer who blogs over at amyassistivetech.blogspot.com. Congratulations, Amy. You can follow Amy Braddock on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash amybraddock. Congratulations, Amy. I hope you and your students enjoy the books. Thanks to all of you who entered. Maybe in the future there'll be even more giveaways like this on future AT Tips Cast episodes. And that about does it for this season of the AT Tips Cast. Keep an eye out for some surprises next year. I'll have a number of big announcements on a number of different projects to share with you that involve assistive technology, storytelling, and more. They're absolutely delightful. I'll be back next fall, probably late September or early October, with brand new episodes featuring even more tools and strategies. Even though there won't be any new podcast episodes until then, you can still contact me via email at attipscast at gmail.com, via Twitter at attipscast, via the Facebook page at facebook.com slash attipscast, and via the blog attipscast.com. Drop me a line and say hi. Until next time, may all your interventions be inclusive, may all your strategies be supportive, and may all your summer blockbusters have hidden messages about education. See you all in the fall!